in the Gospel of John in chapter 16, and I'll begin reading with verse 16. John chapter 16, reading from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us a little while, and ye shall not see me? And again a little while, and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said therefore, What is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of what I said, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatever ye shall Ask of the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, and your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs. But I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from the Father. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world again. I leave the world, and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. It was a time of change and certainly a time when they would be troubled of spirit and, and not know what exactly was happening to them. But Lord, we know that in all things you would make very clear to them that Jesus himself would be with the Father and the Spirit of God would be with them and through prayer their hearts would be much enjoined unto the Lord. And we thank you for the great encouragement that we receive in the same way, even that Christ himself has come to redeem us from our sins and has left us the Comforter, that we may find peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here we have a very interesting passage, of course, as he, Jesus continues to speak to his disciples. And uh, we find in this particular uh, passage, he gives certain uh, predictions, if you will, about what was to happen. And um, we're going to be looking at some of those in a few moments. First of all, he, the 
theme of the message this afternoon uh, rather lengthy, a little while and ye will not see me, in a little while you will see me. So he, he kind of gives this long, kind of like the discourse that Pastor Bo gave this morning. He couldn't add the whole title, it was a little bit too long. <laughs> but <coughs> we find that this, uh, this, this theme, which he speaks to concerning him, himself leaving, and yet he would see them, they would see him at a later time, is one which would um, be fulfilled. Uh, first of all, it um, should be you instead of Yao. <laughs> uh, uh, you didn't see that, did you? <laughs> okay, <laughs> that was from the south, you know, how they draw everything out in the south a little bit. Yao and Yao and <laughs> so forth. Uh, you will lament. Well, you will lament. That's one of the things he said to them. You will lament. And of course, their, their, their lamenting was brought on, would be brought on because of the confusion which they felt and the trouble that they felt in their spirit. And um, they would actually mourn greatly uh, because of Christ uh, leaving them. Uh, and we know that would be brought on because of the crucifixion and, um, and that he would be um, taken by the hands of cruel men and, and uh, crucified upon the cross and buried, as we might say, in the tomb, but only to rise again. Uh, excuse me. Secondly, uh, the world will rejoice. Uh, the disciples would lament, but the world would rejoice. And of course, uh, the world, the word world here, it refers to mankind, if you will, not to the natural physical world, but mankind. And so um, we know his enemies would rejoice, and any who rejected Christ would rejoice in that Jesus would be killed. Um, and uh, they would be happy, they would be joyful. Uh, so there's a great contrast between those that the disciples, that which the disciples felt and that which the world felt at that particular juncture in human history. And then, of course, thirdly, in the world, in the world system, in that system of which um, all mankind is involved, you will have tribulation, he says to them. You'll have tribulation. And basically we're talking about certain afflictions or troubles or anguish of spirit and uh, we may even say persecutions. Uh, and we spoke about that somewhat, um, of course, last week. So these are the areas we want to look at here this afternoon. Uh, first of all, he makes this clear statement to them in verse 16 through 19. He says, a little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Now, even though he spoke to them as plain as uh, he did, at the same time, it was rather obscure, in that they did not quite understand uh, how this was going to come about, and what, what, he, what he meant by that. So Jesus' instructions to his disciples kind of shifted at this point from the, the subject of the, the Spirit coming, as you may remember that he did talk about the Comforter and how the Comforter would come to them. Um, now it kind of shifts somewhat, and he focuses more on um, really uh, what was going to happen, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, of course, which uh, in this in this manner, he spoke to them, and he says uh, um, that he had spoken to them before in parables. And so much of what Jesus did say at times was, uh, in a sense, uh, parabolic. Uh, it's, it had a certain parable element to it. It wasn't, it was there, the truth was there, but it was somewhat uh, uh, veiled uh, in the type of language that he used, and even this uh, was somewhat veiled to the disciples. Um, so we see uh, the words uh, in a little while were kind of troubling to them, confusing. What does he mean, a little while here? Um, and so this prediction of, uh, this, of this going to be happening and saying to them, you will see me again, um, was uh, not immediately understood by the disciples. In fact, when we read something like this, and many, many times when we read the scriptures, we don't understand clearly everything that is being said. 
we have a kind of a, uh, maybe even somewhat of a cloudy understanding uh, of these things. And so what, did, what does he actually mean here? Uh, some have thought maybe he's talking about the second coming. Uh, others have thought maybe he's uh, uh, talking about uh, the 40 days ministry between the resurrection and the ascension. Uh, in other words, um, he says, a little while and ye shall not see me. Well, we understand that he, was, he would be crucified and he, he would not be with them presently, physically any longer. But then after that, uh, he would resurrect and he would be with them. Was he talking about this? Well, between the two of these, of course, we would say probably the latter fits the context much better. Um, even though we, as, dis, as disciples of Christ now, we would say, looking at things to come, we would say, well, uh, we certainly will see the Lord in the second coming. But at this particular point in, in time and in context, it probably is more referring to the 40 days that he would be with them after his resurrection, uh, because it fits the, it fits the narrative. Uh, much better. In verse 17, well, again in verse 16, he says, And ye shall see me because I go to the Father. And so, actually, we do know that's what he was going to do, right? He was going to ascend to the Father. Later, he would, uh, he would go to be with the Father. And in a very real sense, um, um, his presence with them after that period of time when he would be with the Father would be because the Comforter would come and the Spirit of God would be with the disciples. And, well, we even know that the Apostle Paul had an encounter with Christ on the road to, uh, from, on the Damascus road, we would say. Uh, he, he had an encounter with Christ. So uh, we find that his presence uh, appeared at times to people in a um, limited uh, manner, but yet his spirit would be with them. Uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory, uh, the indwelling spirit of God, uh, the true sense of, of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in, uh, in the manner in which he would indwell believers. But the immediate context to this, was, we would say, okay, the 40 days period uh, that he would be on the earth after the crucifixion and resurrection would be uh, our first forethought. And, and verse 17, he says, Then said some of the disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father. So, uh, they did not. It is clear that they did not understand fully uh, at this time. And we know that as Jesus spoke many of these truths to his disciples, uh, uh, they uh, heard what he had to say, uh, but yet... The Holy Spirit had not yet been given, and they were in more or less complete reliance upon Jesus to tell them exactly what he meant by the things that he taught in a parable form. Um, and so the, uh, they, this, all of this would be confirmed upon the hearts of the disciples after uh, the Lord had risen, after the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit had descended uh, upon them there. And every man heard the gospel in his own language, and truly the Spirit of God came down and, and dwelt believers. And so we, we know that these things would be fulfilled, and that's why this is kind of like a prediction of things to come, of the change that would take place. And we know, we know that that would have very, be very instrumental in the establishing of the New Testament church, of that group of people that called out assembly, the ecclesia that would be called out of God uh, as, a, as a, a church body, a church universal, and that those, uh, those people 
would become um, more connected to the Lord Jesus Christ through the work of the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God was meant to come and to lead them into all truth. To lead them into all truth. I think that's an important statement for us to understand that, that that truth would come about through the work of the Spirit of God in the lives of individuals as the church began to grow and to develop. Um, and so these, these disciples at this time did have this sense of, of, of um, trouble in their hearts about this, confusion if you would. They didn't know exactly what uh, was, was happening here. And certainly uh, there would be a great lament in their, in their hearts concerning the loss of, of their master teacher. Verse 18, they said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while, and notice the question mark, we cannot tell what he saith. And so, you know, they say it again. They, what does this mean? <laughs> what does this mean? Now, Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. And, of course, probably they were talking amongst themselves, right? You know, much like uh, we would talk amongst ourselves about something that is going to happen or is happening or that somebody has said to us is going to happen, we would say, well, what does that mean? Um, I don't understand fully what is being said here. So they were kind of talking about the subject among themselves. And Jesus, perceiving these things to be so, as, uh, as he was uh, uh, to do many times, he perceived their hearts because of the trouble that was... Uh, what was in their hearts. He says, now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. So they hadn't come right out and said. They, uh, you know, it's kind of like we do many times. We, we ask everybody else about something before we go to the pastor and ask him. What does he mean by this, pastor? <laughs> but who do we ask first? Well, we go to uh, our friend over here, our brother or sister over here. We ask someone else. And, and uh, finally, the, everybody doesn't have a clear answer on it. So we go back and we say, what do you mean by that, pastor? <laughs> what did you really, what would you really say here? So Jesus knew uh, what was in their heart. So he says, Do ye inquire among yourselves of what I said? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. So, you see, the subject hadn't, hadn't gone away, had it? Um, and they were, and perhaps there was some time here. You know, perhaps this was being kind of mulled over and talked over for a little while. And uh, they were finally coming to the conclusion that they just really didn't know what he meant by all this. And so um, Jesus, realizing this, he, he comes to them once again. And now he says, uh, in verse 20, he says, and this is, uh, goes on to the second part of it. He says, the world will rejoice in my absence. Y'all going to mourn, but the world is going to rejoice. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye shall weep and lament. Ye shall weep and lament. And of course the word lament does mean to mourn or grieve, uh, to be sorrowful, to be troubled of heart. And uh, we might, you might think of the book of Lamentations and how Jeremiah lamented over, over Israel. And, and how that he mourned over, over Israel and how that she continued to, to move away from the Lord even though prophet after prophet told Israel to turn away from their idols and from their sins and from their false teachers and yet they would not. Well, here we find the disciples would be lamenting because their teacher would be leaving them. The one that they had been with now for some three years and that they had uh, enjoyed uh, such wonderful times with and, and seen some, so many miracles and witnessed uh, the things that he had to say that were truly amazing to them. Um, they, they were going to lament much and weep much. He says, but the world shall rejoice. The world shall rejoice. A, a complete uh, contrast between one and the other. Um, they were going to lose their, best, lose their best friend, the Lord Jesus. They would lose that one that they loved and were, were tied to through not only the ministry which he gave unto them, but they had become closest of friends. Um, Mary and Martha and, and uh, all of the disciples uh, had become closest of friends 
to the Lord Jesus. Many of them had personally been completely changed because of their life with, uh, with Christ. And, and their following Christ had, had completely radically changed their thinking. And they believed he was the Messiah of God. They believed he was the true Christ. They believed he was sent of God into the world. And they loved him. And they wanted uh, to, of course, to stay with him. And, and he with them. And, and so that, uh, that meant that they would be troubled greatly over this. Um, yet the world, the world would rejoice at the, at the death of Jesus. At the death of Jesus. There's only one way to look at that, and that is um, that they have rejected God. The world rejects God. The idea of God to the world, uh, especially the true and living God, the, the true sovereign God, the true God of the universe, the creator God, uh, the one that man is, is held accountable to, the one that, is, that we are to fear and reverence, that God the world hates. The world hates that God. Why? Because it stands in the way of their own will and, and their own um, desires. Uh, God sets forth his commandment, and man does not want to follow the commandment of God. Even from the very beginning, that, of course, was so. With the first family... Um, and that first family brought on a lot of firsts. Um, the first transgression against God, the first murder against God. Um, and on it goes into the book of Genesis. A book, Genesis is a book of firsts. Uh, it's just full of first things that happened. And uh, right from the beginning, a man rejected God. And the world rejects God. Even today, the world rejects God. We see it everywhere. Um, and... Uh, it seems that uh, the world is, is uh, promoting um, a universal religion of many and diverse beliefs in our society today under the logo of yoga. Now you might say, well, why yoga? What is, what is this? Well, the thing, the thing that ties everybody together is something so universal and so benign. They think it is so benign that it, it um, is a platform for all beliefs. If you know anything about the Indian culture and, and where yoga comes from and so forth, we find that it is a culture of reincarnation. It is a culture of, of works, a culture of idolatry. Um, it, is a, it is a belief system that ties all people together through not only reincarnation, but um, through a long, a very long ancient history of religious beliefs. And literally, um, India has um, millions of gods. <laughs> millions. Uh, and we find that when, when, when you tie together various kinds of belief systems under one thing, people can make it into whatever they want. Um, they can make their belief system... Doesn't it, you, those kinds of universal belief systems are so broad uh, that, that just about any belief system that has this man-centered can be brought into it. And uh, we see that today, um, I don't know if you've ever read the book uh, by Dave Hunt, The Seduction of Christianity, but he opens this up in a very dramatic way, how that East seduces West through Eastern belief systems. And yoga is just a, another metaphor for that Eastern belief system that... Uh, is pulling everybody together. Um, and uh, it is, you can make it into anything you want, and of course they do. And um, beware, beware. Uh, these things are not benign when it comes to, to religions of the world. Uh, they will pull people in, and people will see them as being harmless, but in the end, they are like the bite of the serpent, uh, it's a very beguiling thing that takes place. And before one knows it, they have left the truth and they are following 
many different belief systems. And uh, yoga is like that. Yoga is, is one of those um, things that draws people in. Well, the world, of course, is, is uh, rejecting Christ at this particular time. We find the Jewish belief system was rejecting Christ. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and even the kings of the day, the Herods of the day, they were all rejecting Christ. Rome was rejecting Christ. Uh, of course, what is truth, Pilate said, what is truth? Uh, there is no absolute truth as far as the philosophers were concerned. And today, as uh, has already been said um, in the morning message, absolute truth is absolutely not true as far as the world is concerned. Um, but we know that the Bible does teach an absolute truth, and it is God's truth, and it is the Word of God. And, and uh, we find that the disciples were being taught that which was in relationship to truth. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And so there, there could not be any other means of reaching God the Father but through Jesus Christ. Even Judaism was not reaching God the Father. They, 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 even though they were supposed to be a theocracy of God... They had left that uh, many years before. And uh, we find that uh, the people of, of Judaism, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and many, but the, even the Essenes, which was a, a very isolated sect, which pre were used by God evidently to preserve the Qumran scrolls, those, those scrolls which would later verify that the book of Isaiah was not only true, but word for word it was as it was supposed to be. And even today the Qumran scrolls are being studied and are a marvelous work that God preserved through the Essenes. Um, yeah, but we see here that the world rejected, rejected Christ. They, they did not recognize him. He came in on a lowly donkey into the city of Jerusalem. They threw down palm branches and they put their coats down in the way. And children praised God, um, saying, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest. And yet the world continued to reject and did not recognize the uh, prophetic significance of who Christ was. Later they would, the same group would cry out, crucify him, crucify him, you see. And so the world rejected, the world was happy. They finally got rid of this, this troublemaker uh, and, that, and they thought they was, they was rid of him. And so Jesus says to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you shall weep and lament. You're going to mourn, you're going to be troubled. But the world shall rejoice and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy. Now why should that happen? Well, because after the crucifixion of Christ and that he was buried and he would rise again on the third day, he would prove himself to be the Son of God and that he would come forth from the grave. An angel would set upon the gravestone and make announcements to the women as they came. And one would be even inside the very tomb, a young man, as it were, an angel, and he would say to them, Why are you looking for Jesus? He is not here. He is risen. And, uh, and uh, he would, they would be instructed to run and to tell the others about this. But even so, they were still lamenting and still mourning and still in trouble, uh, troubled in their heart because they, they hadn't fully yet come to the understanding of what had happened. Uh, but that 40, period, 40 days of, of, of days that would take place would be very um, emblematic of their desire to know more and they would know more and learn. And finally, and finally, it would be turned to joy. The sorrow would be turned to joy. And so the very words that Christ gives here uh, would be very predicting, very predictive of the things that would take place. And then he gives here a little bit of an analogy to uh, this. As sometimes he did give uh, truths that would, that would uh, later be seen as an explanation. In verse 21, A woman, when she is in travail, in travail, hath sorrow, 
because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish, for the joy of a man is born into the world. Well, he's using that to say this. You're going to be in anguish. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to lament. You're going to mourn. But as soon as this is over, this part is over, you will forget that part of it. And you will have great joy because I, I have risen from the grave. That the very words which I have said to you concerning myself that the Father sent me into the world, and that I came forth to be known as the, not only the Son of God, but the one who would die for the sins of the world, you will, you will have great joy and rejoicing uh, in these things that I have told you. In verse 22, And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Well, this is true even, even 2,000 plus years after, isn't it? Um, those who have come to faith in Christ and those who know the Lord as their Savior, those who have realized these things by the knowledge of the Spirit of God, um, and Christ who indwells the believer, even today, even today, um, is joyful, is joyful, though these things happened, unto our Lord and Savior. We are joyful. We do not say, oh, I wish that Jesus had never died. We do not say, I wish that Christ had never suffered for my sins. We do not say, I am, I, I, if I had to do it all over again, I would have him to do it differently. No, we do not say any of those things. Because Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and he arose again upon the third day according to the scriptures and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father and he stands as an intercessor for us a mediator an advocate to the Father for us he is our true Lord and Savior our true Master the one who came to die for our sins who shed his precious blood for us. And your joy no man taketh from you. There have been many who have died for their faith and no man took their joy from them. Many have suffered martyrdom and no man took their joy from them. Though they suffered the, the troubles and persecutions of others, no man took their joy from them. And no man can. Because God alone is the one who gives that kind of joy and rejoicing in the heart. And in that day, verse 23, ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Well, what were the disciples and followers of Christ doing up until this point? Um, they were coming to Christ and they would say, could you heal my son? Could you deliver this woman of a demon? Could you um, uh, raise this person from the dead? Um, <coughs> they were asking all kinds of things of Christ. Um, could you change the water into wine? Uh, you know, many miracles that he did, he did simply because he, he was appealed to, to do so. Uh, and uh, they would not do this anymore. Rather, they would go to the Father. And, you know, one of the uh, distinctives of the Christian faith, one of the distinctives is that we are priests unto God ourselves. The priesthood of the believer is a distinctive of the Christian faith. We are a holy people, a peculiar people. We are a priesthood unto God. We get to go directly to God the Father to make our appeal through Jesus Christ, of course. He even says here uh, about asking in his name um, and how that that was important. Um, he says uh, again, verse 23, Whatever ye shall ask the Father in my name, in my name, he will give it you. You see, Jesus doesn't say you don't have to ask it in my name. 
No, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our mediator. He is our great high priest, according to the book of Hebrews. But at this particular time, that was all very strange to these disciples. They went to the high priest, they offered a sacrifice, and the high priest was a, uh, a go-between to God, and uh, if there was any kind of prayer to be offered, it had to be offered specifically as the, it might be required under the priesthood system. But we find that now, since Christ has died for our sins and risen again, and the Spirit of God has been given a comforter who dwells within us, we find that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we get to approach God the Father as individual priests unto the Father. We come on our own behalf through Jesus Christ our Lord in his name and he will give it you he will give give you according to his will hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name ask and ye shall receive and your joy may be full and so um, we find that things would change completely and this change was meant to be of course that we might have this intimate relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the reason that we ask in Jesus' name is because truly he is our Savior. And God sent him to be so. God sent him to be that Savior. God sent him to, to be that advocate, that mediator between God and man. Uh, he is the one that we pray through, if you will. In Jesus' name. And so he meant that. And so our joy, our joy is in this too, that we get to approach God directly. Of course, in the Old Testament, that was quite unheard of, wasn't it? You didn't approach God unless God asked you to, uh, to approach him. Uh, it was a whole, different, a whole different thing. One had to be sanctified and made holy to come before God the Father. Um, even Moses couldn't uh, do anything without God's permission. And so in verse 25, 25, These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. And of course the fuller dimension of the Spirit's working and of the disciples and how that they would be able to come to God the Father would become much more revealed to them. Much more revealed. In fact, in one particular place, Paul says, I'll show you a mystery. And he talks about a mystery, right? Um, and uh, it turns out a mystery is not something that could not be known. A mystery is something that was formerly hidden but now revealed. And so God revealed things uh, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, if you will, the very gospel itself was hidden in the Old Testament. It was there. It was there. We might say that Isaiah uh, 53 is kind of like the Old Testament gospel. Uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Kind of like Isaiah 53 is like the gospel in the Old Testament. But it was, it was veiled. It was veiled. As many of those truths were veiled. But Christ came that they might be revealed. They might, the mystery would be revealed. And so we find that that mystery was revealed. And ultimately, it would be revealed, and Paul would say to the Colossian Christians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. And so Christ would no longer be with them presently in physical form. He would be with them in spirit. By the Spirit of God itself, the Holy Spirit, who indwells the believer, John chapter 3. We are born from above. And, uh, as Nicodemus would, would learn. And we, would, we have this indwelling spirit of God. 
and Christ to be in us, the hope of glory. And so it is that um, uh, these things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when no man, when, when, when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. If we get to, we get to pray directly to the Father. We don't have to ask Jesus to pray for us, though he is our intercessor and our advocate, but that kind of happens because that's who he is. He's, he, he is the one who's made it all possible for that to happen. I will, I will pray for you, uh, for the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from the Father. So here are the, here are the two truths that would be learned here. If we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we also accept and believe that he came forth from the Father. We, we must believe that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God in order to know him as the Son of God. You must believe that. They're kind of part and parcels together. You, anyone who's going to believe that Jesus Christ is the true Savior will also believe that he is the Son of God and that he came forth from the Father. In other words, a person cannot be saved unless they believe those those two truths. You cannot be saved. You cannot know God uh, and true salvation unless you know both of those elements of truth. And of course, um, his true disciples know that. They know that. And we know that the disciples, of course, as they were called one, one by one uh, to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they came to the realization that he was truly sent from the Father. They, believed, they were known as his disciples because they believed he was the Messiah. And then they were coming into the truth. They came into the truth and the knowledge that Jesus would die for their sins according to the scriptures. So those truths came together unto the, unto the disciples. And even today, the same thing is true. The same thing is true. One must believe that Jesus Christ was not only sent from the Father, but he is truly the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. Verse 28, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. So now we find that he's, he's real being in this truth. I came from the Father, I'll go back to the Father. And so we, we find after the 40 days, what does he do? He ascends up into the heavens, even as he came down. To, he came down from the Father, he ascends to the Father. And, uh, and all these truths, the disciples are beginning to, to comprehend more and more and more. And even though they are still perhaps in great trouble and lamentation and mourning that these things should take place and would be in great anguish of spirit when they did take place, it didn't mean that they could not understand these things they would come to the full realization of these things. And God was saying that that would happen. In verse 30, Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. And so the affirmation, if you will, in verse 29, His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb, and now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee, but this we believe, that thou camest forth from the Father, from God. So, um, as much as the disciples were troubled and did not have a full understanding, yet they believed the things that Jesus was saying. And we're somewhat like that too, aren't we? We... I don't know any Christians who are really true, truly believers that the Word of God is the Word of God that do not say, I don't understand everything, but I know it is true, even though I don't understand it. 
<laughs> and I, we, have to, we have to say that. We have to because otherwise it is to deny that the word of God is true. And if you deny one part of it as being true, uh, you've just brought into question all of it. So, you know, any who are true believers, any who are true, truly born again of God, must believe that this book is true, truly the inspired word of God, in whole and in part. Verbal and plenary, in whole and in part, it is the inspired word of God. Now, there's much here to study. And, you know, we... We grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And the Lord is the one who confirms it upon our hearts uh, and brings those things to our understanding. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Do ye now believe? <laughs> it's a little question mark there. <laughs> Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So he's, he, again, these predictive statements were going to be, were very true and would impact the, the disciples in a variety of different ways. They would, be, they would lament, they would be confused, they would be troubled, they would mourn. Um, they wouldn't understand why the world was so rejoicing over this when they were so troubled over this. Um, and, uh, and so he, he, he makes these statements about them being scattered. And we know that all these things did come to pass. No man stood with him at the end. They went, he went to the garden to pray. And from there, after the garden, um, no man stood with him. Even, the, even that very one person who thought he could stand with him, couldn't stand with him. In fact, they all scattered. <laughs> Nobody stood with him. And, uh, and so it, it is that, that he knew the hearts and the frailties of the human nature. That the spirit is is willing, but the body is weak. <laughs> the body, the physical body, is weak. Every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. It is true that, in a sense, God the Father would turn His back upon Christ as He went through these terrible and horrific um, crucifixion. That he, might, that he might die, truly, to take upon himself the sin of the world. But that didn't mean that God the Father would, would completely abandon his Son. Only insofar as God meant for his Son to fulfill the Scriptures. Only insofar as, as God the Father meant for him to fulfill the very Word of God. And what he came to accomplish. But he says, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. He knew the Father would be with him through all this. These things have I spoken unto you that ye might have peace. Now we know there's a difference between the peace that is in the world and the peace that is with God. And of course that's what he's saying here. Your peace is going to be the peace of God. When this is all said and done, you will have the peace of God in your hearts and lives. Though the world will not be at peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. The word tribulation here is a different, little bit different word than the word for persecution previously, but it does mean trouble and anguish and um, the various kinds of things that we would expect here, like affliction, these kinds of things. And they are no doubt part and parcel with what persecution is all about. But there is a sense that these things would bring on a certain inner, inner affliction for the disciples. Well, even today we find that uh, to be a follower of Christ, we have many conflicts within our spirit. We perseverance, the, the whole doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is not that we won't have some sense of turmoil or trouble or, or anguish uh, in our spirit. 
The idea of perseverance of the saints is that the true believer, the one who truly loves God and is called of God, perseveres in faith through those very things that they are troubled and in anguish of spirit over. If one did not persevere, then how could one say that they're truly born of God, you see? At the end, if one just abandons their faith, how can they say that they are of God, that they, that they truly love God, or that, that uh, they are truly saved of God, you see? No, one must persevere. One must remain true and faithful. He says, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And of course, um, he did overcome the evil one, who is the god of this world, the small g-o-d of this world. And we find that Jesus has overcome, overcome the evil and the hatred and the rejecting spirit which is in this world and he did it upon the cross that we might know the true power of the resurrection and the true life of Christ in us I have overcome the world and so um, in the world you will have tribulation so these three areas he mentions here. I'll just close with this statement. Separation from Christ would begin in mourning and end in joy. Prayer and peace. As they would realize that he would rise again and give the Holy Spirit and his presence. You see, they begin here with, with mourning and and the anguish of spirit. But then he talks about prayer. And then at the end, he tells them that he has overcome the world and he would give them peace. He would give them peace. So even though we find ourselves sometimes going through these various kinds of things in our lives, we know that Christ, Christ is the overcomer. Christ is the one who has given us this peace and joy in our salvation and the hope of eternal life because he has overcome the world. A little while and you will not see me. Well, we, we, none of us have seen Jesus. Only by faith. Our most vivid portrayal of Christ is in faith. But one day, one day, we will see him. And we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us this day. Ask for your blessing, Father. Pray that you will open the eyes of our understanding. Pray, Father, you will continually give us the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts that we might realize of the great joy and peace that is ours because Christ has overcome the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.